Good to see you here this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis. It's the last chapter in the book, Genesis chapter 50, if you'd open with me. If we can have a little bit of house light, that'd help them do that, wouldn't it? There we go. I thought we hadn't paid our bill again. I'm glad that y'all are here this morning. Good to see you in the light. Genesis chapter 50. We're going to talk this morning about going the distance. If you're a guest with us in the room or you're joining us via live stream and have not been with us for the last several weeks, we have a series right now called Going the Distance. It's a boxing term, and obviously for a boxer, that's 12 rounds unless he can KO his opponent, opponent sooner. But he has to train as if he's going to be in that ring for 12 rounds, not just standing there and not just swinging, but taking licks. And he knows he's going to be bruised and cut and hit, maybe knocked to the mat, but you got to get up if you're going to win. And some of you would say, Brother Nick, I came this morning. It's been a tough week. I feel like I've been bloodied. Some of you say, I'm bruised from something that happened six months ago, and I'm still not over it. Some of you say, Brother Nick, I've been on the mat so long, I'm beginning to taste canvas. I hadn't been up and really moving like I'd like to live and move in freedom with Christ in years. Well, I got good news for you. The God who is the author of our faith is the author and finisher of our faith, and he who begun a good work in you will see it through the day of completion. Don't quit. God called us to run a marathon, not to run a sprint. Life is going to be, the Bible says, three score and ten. Now, some folks are going to have a car wreck, heart attack, stroke, something happened before that. But the Bible says the average lifespan is three score and ten. That's 70 years. That's a long time. And so the Bible says prepare to run the journey. Paul would say, I finished the course and I kept the faith. I ran the whole distance and I did well all the way to the end. And so what we want to do this morning is consider yet another man who started well, had a great family. But Joseph, unlike Samson and unlike Jacob, Jacob had a twisted heart. And so his behavior betrayed the wonderful start he was given. Samson was a man who had the blessing of God. As you know, he's a Nazarite from his birth. And the sign of a Nazarite was that your hair was never to be cut. So his hair was not just long, it was woven because a man with hair that hadn't been cut in his lifetime would drag way down his back so he'd weave it on his head so he had the hair but it, didn't, uh, it just kept getting broader and bigger. When the Bible says he got a haircut, well his strength wasn't in his hair. The hair was a sign of the covenant with God so when he allowed Delilah to shave his head he said, my relationship with God doesn't matter, look how strong I am. It'd take me a long time to lose his strength, it took that long. When God no longer, when you no longer serve the Lord, when you blaspheme the Lord and live apart from the Lord and turn and walk away from the Lord, it's not that you may, if you were really saved, you'd still be saved, but your uselessness, your, your usefulness is gone because God can't abide sin. And so if you're living in sin, he says, I'm not going to be an accomplice to sin. I can't bless you like I want to because I'd be blessing blatant sin. And he's not going to do that. So Samson obviously lost his strength, got it back at the end because he went the distance, cried out to God. God restored his strength in a moment of death. He did judge the enemies of Israel and delivered Israel. But it was a last-minute, last-ditch moment. This morning we want to talk about a man named Joseph. He's the 11th of 12 sons. He came from a great household. His great-granddaddy was Abraham. His granddaddy was Isaac. His daddy was Jacob. Now that's strong lineage. You can't say, well, if Jacob just had a better home life, 
If he could have had a better start. Listen, when your grandparent, your great-granddaddy, your granddaddy, and your daddy are the patriarchs of Israel, that doesn't get any better than that. In fact, for years, when the Jews, centuries, when Jews would pray, they'd pray, Oh God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's his great-granddaddy, granddaddy, and daddy. So you didn't have to say, Well, I, I hate Jacob didn't have a good start. He had a great start, uh, Joseph. But the problem with Joseph, he's like some of you in this room and some people you know. There's certain people in life, and you know them and I know them. It seems like every time they kind of get on their feet, boy, something else hits them. There's some of you over the many years I've been your pastor. There's certain families that seem like the only time I hear from you is because something else has happened, and it happens often. There'll be a death, and then there'll be somebody diagnosed with cancer, and then a car wreck, and then a job loss, and then a child that's wayward. And, and, and over time, we hurt for you. It just seems like every way you turn, it just the rug just keeps getting pulled out from under you. And some of you in this room would say, that sounds like my life. Well, welcome to the world of Joseph. Now, you'll be glad to know I'm not going to preach the whole story of Joseph today. It's 13 chapters. You've heard me preach three, and we were here for a while, three verses. So I'm not going to try to tackle 13 chapters. I'm going to give you cliff notes of the first 12 chapters, and then we're going to tackle chapter 50, which is the end of Joseph's life. The Bible says Joseph was born as the 11th of 12 sons. There will only be one other son born after him to, to Jacob. Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, would be grafted in. The Levites never had a land holding, so they aren't counted when you see the tribes settling in the land. Levites were in charge of the priesthood. And Joseph is most often listed as the two tribes, his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and those are the 12 tribes. Only one boy was born after Joseph, other than Joseph's sons, and that was a boy named Benoni, or Benjamin. His wife, Rachel, gave birth to Benjamin in her dying moments. And Benoni means son of my sorrow, and Jacob said, no, we're not naming him son of my sorrow. We're going to name him Benjamin, son of my right hand. And so Benjamin became the baby, but in Joseph's day, when he left home, Benjamin was not yet. He had not been born. The Bible says because he is 11th to 12th, he's the baby of the family. Now, some of you here are the last born. Some of you are the middle child. Some of you are the oldest child. I'm an oldest child of four, and I can just tell you the oldest children have it the toughest. The parents aren't fully groomed yet. They don't know all about parenting. And Boy, every time you get a sniffle, they take you to the doctor. And every time you need a shot, they say, give him two. It'll help him. Every time you misbehave, give you a spike. And they give you an extra one tomorrow in case they didn't cover it all yesterday. The How many of you are firstborns? Let's see. Could I have a testimony? Do we not have it the hardest? I, got, I thought so. See, we're, we're, we were abused, and they call that normal, right? My mama's timeout mean I didn't get out from under my bed for three days. I couldn't walk. You know what I'm saying. So, so that's the first one. But do are you all that were the babies of the family? We don't like y'all. All the pictures. Have you seen the latest picture of my baby? Hey, look, isn't, she pre isn't he precious? I mean, mama, you beat me for doing that. Why would you say that's cute? Uh, my, my last, the last two siblings in my family were girls. And my, I watched those girls say something. My daddy wilted in his socks. That's just disgusting. Firstborns have it hard. You, you, you later borns, you, we plowed ground for you. You ought to forever raise up and call us blessed. But see, well, I didn't think it happened. I'm just suggesting it. But, but see, jo Joseph was the 11th of 12. And, and when he came along, the other brothers were much older. And they were shepherds. And the Bible says in Genesis 37, Joseph went out to the field to shepherd the flocks. Really what he went out to the field to do on occasion was take food and, and something fresh from home. When you're out there working all day, you'd like something from home. But he didn't really stay in the field. How do we know? 
Not only was he the baby of the family, he was Jacob's favorite. Now, Jacob grew up as a favorite. Jacob was mama's boy, you remember? Esau was daddy's boy, Isaac's son. Jacob grew up as Rebekah's boy. She loved him, doted on him. So Jacob knew what it was like to have, be favored and have a favorite. And Joseph was unquestionably his favorite. Now the other brothers were shepherds. Shepherds had a hard life. There was no weekends, no days off. Sheep need your attention nonstop. They can't defend themselves. So you have to always watch over them, keep them fox, uh, fox and bears and others that come out in mountain lions. So you had to always watch them. You had to find fresh land so they can graze, fresh water for them to drink, and you didn't come in. So shepherds smelled like they died. They're, they're, they had B.O. that would move mountains. They, they, they had bad breath. That Their garments literally they wore till they fell off and they'd start over. But not Joseph. The Bible says Joseph's daddy loved him so much, and he was around the home most of the time. His daddy made for him a designer garment, a coat of many colors. Now, he already is not popular. But when your daddy buys you a special tailor-made garment of many colors and you're wearing last year's garb that's just about to rot off your body, that doesn't make you popular. And as if that doesn't make him popular enough, the Bible says Joseph had a dream. Now, he's already thinking, I'm, a, I'm pretty tall stuff. My daddy thinks I'm the best. And Joseph has a dream. He says, I want to tell you all my dream. I dream that every one of you bowed down to me. That did it. You can just kind of feel, you are dumb as a rock, Joseph. Don't tell that. But when those boys heard, bow down to you. <laughs> watch this, you know, watch this. And so Joseph goes out the field to check on the boys. Daddy says, take them some food and see how they're doing. So they see him coming in a coat of many colors. They're still wearing last year's sheepskin, and it stinketh. And so the Bible says when they see him coming, they say, here comes that little dreamer. I mean, look at that little prissy britches in that little coat of many colored. Look how he walks. I'm, I get mad just looking at him. Bow down to him. I'll show him bow down. Can you hear it? Did y'all not have brothers? Y'all are all only children. Is that true? Listen, they saw him and they wanted to take his head off. That's what they said. Let's kill him. And we'll do that. We'll, we'll declare to daddy something killed him and, and, and we just came to tell you he's dead. Well... Reuben, the oldest, was there. And Reuben said, I, I can't bear to kill him. Let's just put, throw him over there in that pit, and we'll just leave him there. And we'll still tell Daddy he died, but that way his blood won't be in our hands. He's just going to wind up starving and not have enough water, and one of these days he'll just die. That's merciful. Reuben had gone to check on something, and he comes back, and Joseph's gone because the brother said, well, we got a better idea. Instead of just killing him, getting nothing, we all thought we ought to get something. We saw these Nabataean traders coming this way, and they were heading down to Egypt, and we thought, you know, if they'd buy him as a slave, we'd at least get some money out here. And so they sold him to those traders for a slave to Egypt, and the Bible says they got 20 pieces of silver. Now, you know how they got that. 20 pieces, if they're 10 brothers, you don't have to be a strong mathematician. You kill the 11th brother, there's 10 brothers left. That means if we could get 20 pieces, all of us would pocket two pieces of silver, which go a long way when we go to market. We get two pieces of silver for each of us, and we go to market, we'd have something to spend. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. They bound him. In those days when they got a slave, they just bind their hands, put a rope around them, join them with the other slaves, and they get to walk all the way to the destination. So here he is going from the land of promise all the way down to Egypt. Now it's about a 10-day walk if you go directly. So Joseph is sold into slavery. His brothers go back and tell his daddy he's dead. Jacob is heart sick. 
In the first service, we have many more senior adults, and some of those I've stood at their side when they buried their daughter or son. A mother that has to bury her child is almost inconsolable. No mother ever dreams my child will precede me in death. No daddy, when he holds that precious boy or girl in their lap, on his lap as a little one, ever dreams, I will see you someday precede me in death. When parents watch a child precede them in death, it's almost more than they can bear. Jacob gets word that his favorite boy, the boy that's always around the house, the boy with the coat of many colors, the boy who's a daddy's boy, has been mauled by an animal dead, and he... He, he weeps, and the words mean loud lamenting. You could hear him. Now imagine how cold-hearted brothers would be to say to a daddy, knowing it's not the truth, your son has been mauled by an animal and he's dead, and they stood there and Reuben told him. The Bible says Joseph was sold into slavery. When he gets down to, to, to Egypt, I think he, the Bible says he was handsome, he was strong, he looked fit. And you and I both know we see people in the community and they just look nice. And you say, I don't know who they are, but boy, that's a handsome man. That's an attractive lady. Look how they're dressed and how they carry themselves. And they have that appearance of, of having dignity and grace. And, and, and you just immediately drawn to them. I think that's the way Joseph presented himself. The Bible says he was handsome and good looking and fit. And so suddenly they, Potiphar, who is the head of the secret service, says he's in charge of the military forces guarding the house of Pharaoh. He's the head of the secret service. So if you're the head of all security of Pharaoh, guess where your house is? Right up next to Pharaoh's palace. You're in that upper echelon of who's who that have the very best of the best because you're taking care of Pharaoh. And you take care of him, he's going to take care of you. Potiphar sees Joseph and says, that's a good-looking boy. He says, I'm going to buy him. I don't think he's a field hand. That boy's got culture. I'm going to bring him into my house and make him a household servant. And he saw him as so responsible after a few weeks. He did so well. He said, I tell you what, son, you got it. I'm going to put you over all of my household. And the only person that you speak for me just as I'm not here. And the only person you answer to is me, Potiphar said. Whatever you want done, you just say, Potiphar said. Whatever you need change, you say, Potiphar said. The only person you answer to is me. You help make my home good. And the Bible says, because God honored Joseph, Potiphar's household flourished. Well, Potiphar was married to a woman who was sexually bent. I, I, I'm disgusted as you are when I hear so many people that are men who are being arrested for adultery and assaults, for, for men who rape and men who who commit every act of sin in the name of I, I love. No, you lust. There's plenty of men that are deviant, but there's sadly some women. And, and there's women who say, I don't know why I did it. Well, when you dress provocatively and you walk provocatively and talk provocatively and give off all the signs I'm available, it's pretty obvious why a man would think you're available. Potiphar's wife was such a woman. I think that's the reason Potiphar didn't kill, him, didn't kill Joseph when one day she wanted Joseph for her own. She didn't want him for a servant. She wanted him for services rendered. She didn't want him to make up her bed. She wanted him in her bed. Remember, he was about 18. The Bible says he was 17 when his brother sold him off. So even if a year had elapsed from the time he was sold off, made it to Egypt, bought, elevated to second in man, he's at a time in the boy's life, 18, buddy, his sexual drive is on overdrive. And he's got it made. He's, he's got authority now. He's second command all of Potiphar's house. And this Egyptian woman that had all these oils and fragrances, he hadn't smelled that on the farm. 
She's got all those wiles of an Egyptian woman. We've seen eyelashes and eye, 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 eye makeup and those sheer garments. And she's in and out of the house every day giving him the eye and saying things. He's thinking, my, my, didn't see like the likes of that on the farm. But Joseph didn't have lustful eyes. He had God's eyes. And though he was a long way from home and had every opportunity to, if he ever gone sexually sin, he could have said, well, you know, my daddy, he'll never know. And my brothers don't care. They tried to kill me. Who would know? Who would know? Who would know if I sinned against, uh, uh, sin, sin with this woman? Who's going to know? For most, it didn't take that much to cause you to fall in sin, did it? It doesn't take much of an opportunity. He had it made in the shade if he wanted to sin. But the Bible says in those days, history teaches, in those days men wore something like equivalent of undershirt. It was soft, woven, normally cotton where it'd be cool. It was like an undershirt that started here, maybe three-quarter length sleeve, maybe a long sleeve, and go all the way to your ankles. That's what they gamble for at the feet of Jesus' cross, at the foot of the cross. But, 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 but over that, they'd wear just a lighter garment, just lightweight. It wasn't for, it wasn't for warmth or it's give color. And it had big arms, kind of like a sweater vest, but it didn't come together. A sweater, but it didn't come together, but it was lightweight. But if you really had money, silk, but probably just a dyed something. And you'd wear that for color, and for, because this is white, and you want something. Today I'm going to wear a blue one. If I've got wealth tomorrow, maybe a red one. And so that's what you'd wear in the house. And the Bible says Joseph had on one of these outer garments, and Potiphar's wife said, I want you, and I want you now. And maybe he was back in her quarters. And the Bible says when he didn't come at her command to get in bed with her, she reached out to grab him. And when she did, she got the back of that outer garment. And she held on for, for dear life. And when she did, he just folded his arms back like a jet airplane. And that garment just slid off because it's not buttoned. The front's just there for color. It slid off his body. And she's left holding the garment but not the boy. And that 18-year-old got out of there. Well, you know the old saying. Hell hath no fury like a woman, what? Scorned. I don't get my way, buddy. You're going you gonna to wish you had let me have my way with you. Because were you about to lie down, it isn't going to be the bed of Potiphar's wife, let me just tell you. She knew I'm going to get you. And the Bible says when Potiphar came home, she said, I want you to come back here to my bedroom. You see that? Whose garment is that? He said, well, I don't know. Yeah, you do. He wore it yesterday when he served you dinner. That's that Joseph. That's that, that's that Hebrew boy. That's that alien you brought in, gave him special privileges in our home. You know what that 18-year-old boy did? He tried to rape me. What are you going to do to him? Boy, Potiphar was furious, not because he believed her. See, see, a man knows his wife, and a woman knows her husband. And most of the time when a man commits a sexual act outside of marriage, the wife grieves but she's not totally shocked because she says I know him and I assure you if a woman is sexually promiscuous a man knows it and that's why he has this sixth sense when she's not around I wonder who she's with and there's this there's this hurt in his heart because he says I'm not her first love and so Potiphar, knowing that his wife had probably had other affairs and probably been promiscuous before, she hollers rape. Now, that's a real strong charge against a man. There are men in our society that came year, for years, spent time in prison, and 10 years later, a woman said, I, I, he didn't do it. I just was mad at him. Oh, my. 
There are men that are walking around that were accused, a whole, a whole athletic team was accused of rape, and sometime later the woman recanted and said, I just was mad at them, and every one of those boys went home from that college in shame saying, I didn't do it, and they said, yeah, right. So, see, many times all it takes is an accusation. doesn't have to be true. doesn't have to be true. doesn't have to be true, does it? Anybody, don't raise your hand, but is anybody here? bruised because somebody made an accusation about you doesn't have to be sexual anybody here bruised and limping because somebody lied about your character and the rest of the time whole rest of your life people have said well it may not be true but you know I'll never forget he was charged with she was it was said that she and you still wear that kind of cloud over your head don't you well Joseph is guilty of what serving God but you know what his saying no to Potiphar's wife cost him 12 years in prison from the time he was 18 till the time he was 30. He was no longer head of Potiphar's house. He was no longer the favorite son in Jacob's tent. He was now a prisoner. Now evidently Joseph was a good administrator and a responsible young man because even in prison they made him chief trustee so that he could take care of others and help run the prison. But that doesn't help. See, the truth is prison is prison. It doesn't matter if you have a responsibility to or a little bit of freedom. Right there's the gate, and you're not going out it. And out there's the world you'd like to be a part of, but that's not going to be yours anymore. Because when you're put in there by Potiphar among the king's prisoners, they most of the time either were executed or died in jail. They didn't come out again. Joseph was convinced, I, I didn't do anything wrong. But when you've been accused and you're up at night, two in the morning, can't sleep, the, the barbs, that accusation, are just as painful, if not more so, than if you had done it. Because now you realize everybody thinks it's true and there's no way I can gather everybody in a room and convince them. 10,000 angels, Lincoln said, 10,000 angels pleading my cause would not convince one of my critics. So here's Joseph, and he's in prison. See, in Tulsa, we're told, boy, if you just serve God, you can drive a Cadillac, Mercedes, you'll have diamonds, you'll never be sick, you have bank accounts, you'll be rich, you'll have two homes, 14 cars, you'll have it made in the shade, just trust God. That's Tulsa theology. That's just not biblical accurate, biblically accurate. See, some of the most faithful servants of God were thrown to lines and persecuted and put in prison and beheaded and sawn asunder. He said, well, then why would I serve God? Because there is a reward that is much greater than whatever happens in this life. So here's Joseph, and he's in prison. Well, in prison, he meets a lot of characters. And one of them, are, you know, is a butcher and a baker for the king. And a, a, a butcher was a person who always cut the meat or cupbearer. And the other one was a baker who made his bread. And the cupbearer, you know what a cupbearer was. A, 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 a king always had to be careful I'm not poisoned. So what he would do is have a cupbearer who would carry the king's cup, and what he would do is pour the first wine from what he was going to pour the king's wine into, and he would drink from the first cup to make sure it's not poisoned. If he dropped dead, the king said, get me another bottle. That one's been poisoned. So, so literally, when, if you were with an unpopular, unpopular pharaoh, to be his cupbearer meant you drunk every time he drunk wine, you drunk the first cup, and if somebody tried to poison the wine, you were going to be carried out feet first. And he'd do the same thing with meat. If it was a threat that it might be the food, the cupbearer tasted everything first. And so as long as the meat was good and the meal was good and the wine was good, he lived. A good life. But you're one poisoning away from being carried out feet first. Well, the cupbearer was in prison. Baker was in prison. The Bible says that Joseph interpreted dreams for them that came true. And 
At some point, they forgot Joseph. Some of you say, that's, that's me. I, I had a man promise me a job, and when it came time for the hiring, he forgot me. I gave years and years to a company, and when it came time for promotion, I was overlooked, and they picked that person, and you've been wounded ever since, haven't you? Joseph was forgotten until Pharaoh had a dream, and he couldn't interpret it. He said, I dreamed there were seven fat cows and seven really wimpy-looking cows. In fact, the Bible says they're ugly cows, meaning they're so pitiful. Pharaoh said they were so ugly, I've never seen cows that bad in all of Egypt. Well, it's because they were a symbol. And then he had a second dream. He said there was these seven large grains and then seven just wilted, dried up, weak-looking grains. And, and the seven lean cows ate the seven fat cows, but it didn't seem to make them fat. It just kept them alive. And then the seven large grains were eaten by the seven wimpy grains, but they still looked wimpy. I don't know what that means. So he called in all his wise men. What does that mean? And they couldn't interpret it. It was then that the servant in the king's household said, Wait a minute, I met a guy in prison. When, before you delivered me, I met a guy in prison named Joseph. I think he was from, seemed like he was from Canaan. He's a Hebrew, I know that. And he interpreted my dream and it came true. I think he could help you. They said, go get him. And the Bible says they brought Joseph after 12 years out of prison. I think it's interesting. The Bible says they bathed him and clothed him. Why? If you had been in prison 12 years, you hadn't had a bath in 12 years. They didn't care if you bathed or not. And you hadn't been clothed in a long time. You just wore whatever didn't rot off your body. So the minute they brought him out, they take him in and give him a bath and give him some of those fancy oils that the king, king's people would have. And he put on a nice garment, nice sandal. He hadn't looked that good in a long time. And they bring him in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, Joseph, I've had this dream. I'm told you can interpret dreams. I saw seven lean cows, seven fat cows. I saw seven lean heads of grain, seven fat heads of grain. What does that mean? He said, here's what it means, King Pharaoh. It means there's going to be seven very productive years in Egypt, more food than you can eat. And then there's going to come seven years of famine where it's not going to rain and the land's going to dry up. We know what it's like in western Oklahoma. We went about five years with no rain out there and the ponds were gone. And the lakes drained down from the banks to the point you could just see a little bit of water right in the center. People say, what are we going to do? The water table under the earth was diminishing five years, just five years. And they were saying, what are we going to do? And this year God opened the floodgates of heaven. And today those lakes are back to normal. Why? Because of the mercies of God. I don't care how rich your land is. You don't have water. You're not going to raise a crop. I don't care how much good holdings you have with cattle and, 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 and flocks. If you don't have water, there's no grazing land. And there's no trucks to bring you bales of hay because they didn't have trucks. And there was no irrigation to speak of because there was no water in those streams. And there was no way to bring grain in by trucks because they didn't have trucks. And so he says, you, here's what I'd recommend to you, Pharaoh. There are going to be seven good years and seven lean years. During the good years, here's what I recommend. You need to get your wise man and put him over all the agri-projects of Egypt. And during the seven good years, you need to command that all the people give back 20% of their grain. And let's build bins around the cities to store grain. Meaning, if we have outposted the cities, everybody in the circumference of that city can get to the city and get grain in the lean years. So you take 20% of the grain in the good years, put it in a mint, and that way when the seven years of bad come, you'll have a savings account. And the Bible says it pleased the ears of Pharaoh. And he said, I tell you, I think I see the young man. I believe it's you. I'm going to put you over all of Egypt's agri to get us through this famine. And here's the deal. Just like Potiphar said, you're over all of my house. And the jailer said, you're over all the prisoners. He's now, Pharaoh says, you're over the whole house of Egypt. That's quite a promotion for a Hebrew prisoner. Today, you're over all the kingdom of Egypt. Egypt was the greatest power in the land. 
And Joseph moves up from the jail of a dungeon, a dungeon uh, for his home for 12 years. And now he's second in command, only answerable to Pharaoh. And he begins to save that grain. Well, you know the story. The famine hit Egypt, but it hit everywhere else, including Canaan. And before long, the brothers of Joseph and Jacob were saying, we can't make it. Our flocks are dying. Our cattle have no grain. And we don't have grain to see much longer. And the boys said to Daddy, Daddy Jacob, we've heard there's grain in Egypt. Would you send us down to Egypt about a 10-day walk? If we went down there with some money, I believe we could buy grain and come back. They didn't have a clue. Joseph was the CEO of the grain bin. So they get down there, and Joseph is over watching this. He's not down there loading it, but he's watching it on this particular day. And I believe it was a divine appointment. I don't believe he's out there every day. But this particular day, he was looking down from an observation point, and he saw a group of men come together, and he's rubbing his eyes. He's thinking, I must be dreaming. I, that, I, that, that looks like Reuben. I, I, that is Reuben. That, and that's Simeon. And there's Gad and Asher. I, that's my brother's. He hadn't seen them in at least 12 years because he'd been in prison that long. And they've gotten skinnier because they've been going through famine and he's gotten bigger because he's eating at the king's table. He said, that's my brothers. I recognize those boys. Well, over the next few chapters, what he does, he arranges not only to meet them, but he gets them to keep bringing more brothers. And then, you know, ultimately he says, I want to meet this boy. They said, he, they said we have one other brother. He said, who is that? He said, boy named Benjamin. He didn't know Benjamin. When Joseph was sold in slavery, Benjamin wasn't a gleam in his mama's eye. But he knew if I can get Benjamin to Egypt and hold him as a hostage, I can get Jacob to finally come. So the story goes that if I had time to tell you, it's preach it, I'd tell you the story, is that he finally got Benjamin to Egypt, and he said, boys, here's who I am. I'm Joseph. Well, buddy, they wept. First of all, out of fear. You're Joseph. I'm Joseph. Oh, my soul, we tried to kill him, boys. And then we sold him into slavery, you remember? And we hated him, and now he's got all this authority. We are dead meat on our feet. How would you feel? If you'd lied about your brother and had him wanted to have him killed, and then you sold him as a slave while he's at the peak of his teenage years, and now you're standing before him, and you see the power he wields, wouldn't you weep? I bet you get real repentant. I've seen people get caught for adultery, and they get in front of the camera, and oh, they're suddenly very repentant. They weren't repentant when they committed adultery, but when they got caught. I've seen people steal, and when they get caught and brought in by the police, they don't want their head shown. They got their head down. They didn't walk in the store that way to steal, did they? They only started being ashamed when they got caught. When Joseph's brothers got caught, oh, he's going to kill us for sure. Boy, they started repenting. Oh, my. They had a revival meeting right there. And Joseph said, you don't, need to, you don't need to repent to me. I've already forgiven you. But here's the deal. I want you to go get my daddy Jacob. The Bible says they went to get Jacob, brought him back to Egypt. Because they were farmers, he said, you can't live in the city. Not because he was unwilling, but he said, city folks won't take to you and you won't adapt well. So he said, there's a wonderful grazing area, the land of Goshen, now, if you're old enough to remember Snuffy Smith, you just thought that was a cartoon. But they got that from Scripture. There was a fertile land, valley, called the land of Goshen in ancient Egypt. And that's where the people raised flocks and herds. He said, y'all will be right at home. They'll accept you, and you'll feel good about them. So Joseph said, I'm going to give you the chief, the best of the best land in Goshen. You take all your flocks and herds. You set up daddy a tent, and, y'all, and, he, and daddy lived, J- Jacob lived 17 years. Died at 147. That's pretty good, pretty good lifespan. Well, 
I want to close today by sharing just the last chapter of Joseph's life. Look with me in Genesis chapter 50. We're going to begin in verse 15. Jacob's died, and they have, if you have time this afternoon, read chapter 50, verse 1 to 14. It tells about the marvelous entourage of his funeral service. We get to verse 15 of Genesis 50, and look at this. Verse 15, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that Jacob was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he's going to certainly pay us for all the wrongs we've caused him. Now, what does that mean? You know, he may have just been being nice to us for these 17 years because he didn't want Daddy to see the real wrath he's going to put on us. Boys, we are about to get it. I believe our brother all this time has just been waiting for Daddy to die. And now that Daddy's dead, we're going we're gonna to pay. We're going to pay. So here's what they came up with a concocted story, verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. Joseph, let me tell you about what Daddy said. Before he died, Daddy gave us a command. Notice they said, your father gave us a command. Verse 17, say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin and the wrong they caused you. Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And this time the brothers didn't weep. Joseph wept. He couldn't believe they still thought after all that he'd done to feed them, clothe them, put them in rich valleys, give them everything they needed for farming. He wept when their message came to him and then his brothers also came to him and just as his dream had said as a boy, they bowed down before him. And they said, we're willing to be your slaves. Joseph said to them, don't, don't, don't be afraid. Verses 19 to 21 to me are the heart of the whole story of Joseph and they're in the last chapter. Don't be afraid. Am I your judge? Am I in the place of God? He said, listen, I'm just a leader of Israel. I don't, I don't judge your sins. I'm a sinner myself, saved by grace. I can't judge your sins and pronounce the death penalty. You're going to stand for God what you did in life, and I will too. Am I God? Look at that. Am I, am I in the place of God? Verse 20. Here's what happened, boys. You did plan evil, and you did do evil against me, but i got to tell you, there's somebody bigger than you. What you planned for evil, God planned for good. And he did to bring about this present result, the salvation of many, many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What did he just say? Boys, fear not. Can I be real honest one second? I promise I'm going to quit. Here it is. You ever had somebody say something really malicious against you and it really stung you and others believed it and turned their back on you? Did you ever do something to somebody and you got, if you're normal, most of us have three, four, five, six, twelve times in life we look back across our life and say, boy, if I could go back right there and right there, I'd erase that and change that. And, and God's forgiven it, but every time you touch the scar, you still, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. It's still really tender, isn't it? It's not that God didn't forgive it. It's that when you think about it, it's as fresh as if you did it yesterday. Some of you say, dear God, as you've gotten older, dear God, how could you even love me? I, I, I was so rude and crude and ugly and sinful. God, how could you even forgive the likes of me? You remember? Yeah, you remember. Suddenly these boys stand before the man that's been feeding them and clothing them and they feel more guilt than before. Why? The person that makes it so hard on you is not the person that's vindictive, it's the person that's loving and forgiving. 
Because then every time you look at them and you think what you did to them and how kind they are to you, it's just their kindness kills you. Those boys had to look in the face of the boy they sold out as a slave and hated. And now he's standing like this to them. You remember when God found you? You remember how you smelled of sin? How rebellious you were and how vile your mouth was and how your deeds were ugly and rebellious and evil? And God said, listen, come here. That's what Joseph was saying to those brothers. Come here. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to forgive you. You remember? Please tell me you do. If not, you need to come today. Because if you don't have a vivid memory of when your heavenly Savior gave you the arms of mercy and forgiveness and washed away all that filth and put a new robe on you and a new heart in you and wrote your name on the palm of his hand and in the book of life, if you don't remember that, then you've never experienced that. I've been preaching about Jesus for 43 years, almost 44. You're looking at a redeemed sinner. You're looking at a person that said things and done things that when I think about them, it makes me sick. I'd give anything in the world if I could go back and erase some of those things. But here's the beauty of God. He says, listen, when you confess your sin to me, Nick, I'm going to take you like you are and make you what I want you to be. And I'm going to take that sin and all those things that you still have as a memory, I'm going to take all that sin and put it behind my back. And I'm going to remember it no more because here's the deal. What Satan meant for evil to destroy you, I can take even the worst brokenness and sinfulness. And out of that, I can make something beautiful and glorious. The people we honor most in Scripture didn't walk all their lives with a stained glass halo over their head and never say something they shouldn't do, something they shouldn't. The people we revere are those who are a long way off when God found them. And when he ran to them with his arms outstretched as the prodigal's father ran to the prodigal, we all say, dear God, that was me. Here's Joseph and here's these boys and now they're terrified he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us, and boy, we deserve it. Sin, the wages of sin is death, and boy, we are sinners, and he's going to kill us now. And you know what Joseph said, Reuben, come here, son. Come here. I don't hate you. You did what you did, meaning evil, but you know what God is? He's a rebuilder, and you know what God did? He took all that you meant for evil, and look what God's done. I forgive you. Simeon, come, come right here. And he hugged him. Oh, Simeon's dying. You know when somebody's been nice to you after you've been ugly, you just want to, you just want to wilt into the, into, the, into the pavement. Simeon, I forgive you. And he goes right down the line. Ten for ten. When's the last time you felt God's arms around you? If you say it wasn't this morning, that's too long. When's the last time you sensed he really has forgiven me from the soles of my feet to the top of my head? If you say, I don't, I don't remember, then that's too long. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You know what God does? He loves to take the worst and work it together for good. It's a song that's been out of date. You know our songs today come and go pretty quickly and it's hard to believe this one's been around and out now for a number of years, but I still like the words and it sums it up best. Here it is. 
All things work for our good. Though sometimes we don't see how they could. Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see Him, remember you are never alone. God sees the master plan. He holds the future in His hand. So don't live as those who have no hope. All hope is found in Him. We see the present clearly, but He sees the first and the last. And like a tapestry, He's weaving you and me to someday be just like Him. God's too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand and you don't see His plan, when you can't trace His hand, trust His heart. You know why? Because all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege today to walk in the holy ground of the life of a man named Joseph, but really to see the marvelous grace of our Lord God. Joseph knew what, is, what it was like as a boxer to be punched when he didn't deserve it. Because he was faithful and true to his convictions, he was thrown in prison. Because he was uh, loved by his daddy, he was hated by his brothers. Because he got to Potiphar's house, he, he was resented by a wife who had sexual deviancy while he was sexually pure. When he was in, in Pharaoh's house, he was separated from his daddy for a long time. Not because of anything he's done, but because what he did was righteous in an unrighteous world. But you never forget us. You never leave us or forsake us. I'm so grateful. You promised you're with us always, and stories like Joseph remind us that's absolutely true. Today, I've got to believe in a room this size with this many people, somebody would say, Brother Nick, I'm, I'm on the mat. I'm tasting canvas. Brother Nick, the, the thing that happened in my life six months, a year, two years, three years, four years ago, is just, it just knocked the wind out of me, Brother Nick, and I just can't seem to get up again. Please, know that when you're reaching up, God's already reaching out to you. He wants to help you. Please call on the Lord and ask Him, Father, I just need to be picked up and cleaned off and I need to see a fresh glimpse of Your glory and be filled with Your Spirit again and I need the joy of the Lord. Father, please give that to these that are broken and hurting. I believe there's some in the room this morning who never called on Jesus. They come to church. They know about God. They may even know the gospel. But they've never truly said, Lord Jesus, I'm sick of me. I want to know You. I've made a mess in my life, and I've done some things that are wrong, and I've hurt a lot of people. But God, if you'll forgive me, I, I want to be forgiven, and I want to be different from here on out. I want a life of purpose and meaning and helpfulness. I don't want to look over my shoulder and be ashamed. Is that you? I'm going to ask you today if that's you. You say, Brother Nick, I just need to start over. I need to clear.